studies have found that if you were to cut the delay between when someone uh, starts to have symptoms and when they actually receive a diagnosis for TB, which tends to be something on the order of six months, if you were to cut that by 50% down to three months, over the course of about 10 years, you would reduce the global incidence of TB by 65%. You're listening to MIT Club of Boston's podcast. This is your host, Gayatri Aryan. In today's episode, we will look into innovation around tuberculosis, the leading infectious cause of death worldwide. Our first guest for the episode is Eric Miller. Eric has a bachelor's in chemical engineering from Stanford and a PhD in the same space from MIT. He works at the intersection of protein engineering and medical diagnostics with a particular focus on developing products for use at the point of care in communities with limited infrastructure. Eric, welcome. I hope 2020 has started off well for you. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. I hear you're taking tuberculosis head on. In your own words, tell us about your product. Sure. So we saw when we first came to this space that there was a huge need for better tuberculosis diagnostics. In 2018, there were 10 million cases of tuberculosis worldwide. Of those, it's estimated about 30% went completely undetected. And so we wanted to develop better diagnostics that would be better suited for use at the point of care. So actually decentralizing diagnostics um, and bringing them to the bedside to the patients that need them the most. So TB, I'm very curious to know why TB and what are the challenges with the current diagnosis methodology we have in the market? Sure. Yeah, so we, we saw that as one of the spaces where there is the most major gap in terms of diagnostics. Because existing diagnostic methods, they all kind of fail along one dimension or another. So they're either too expensive, too infrastructure intensive, uh, they take too long to actually develop a diagnostic indication, or they're insufficiently sensitive and specific. So there's existing diagnostics, they uh, are chest x-rays, they're sputum smear microscopy methods, they are DNA-based tests. And I guess the one that we in the U.S. would be more familiar with would be skin tests. Those skin tests are actually completely non-diagnostic for the vast majority of the world, where people have either encountered TB in its latent form or have received some sort of vaccine. But there is no true point-of-care diagnostic. The best sort of point-of-care diagnostic, which is currently out there for TB, is really only suitable for diagnosis in patients that have HIV-TB co-infection. That's a really important population to be able to diagnose, but it only amounts to about 10% of the entire patient population. So we wanted a, a new sort of point-of-care diagnostic test that would address the remaining 90% of patients. In terms of revamping this, what does your solution look like in early diagnosis of tuberculosis? Sure. So we had a couple of design criteria in mind when we were formulating our approach to this problem. One, there were select patient populations that are ill-served by those existing diagnostic methods. And so that's children under five, uh, patients over the age of 65, immunocompromised patients, um, and patients who have extrapulmonary TB, where the, the tuberculosis bacteria has sort of metastasized into different organ systems. And those patient groups are ill-served because, in large part, they aren't able to produce the sort of sputum that you need to actually produce for uh, the traditional diagnostic methods. And so we wanted to produce a diagnostic that operated in a patient sample that any patient could produce, specifically by detecting markers of tuberculosis in patient urine. 
And so that was one design criteria. We also wanted for it to um, be a point of care test and something that would have more of a familiar form factor, similar to a pregnancy test, where there's a single step to apply a patient sample. Uh, you can interpret it regardless of the end user's level of medical literacy, and it will provide an immediate result on the order of five to 10 minutes. Great. And um, prior to we started the recording, you mm -hmm. were explaining to me about the thermal stability. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about the solution and what the process is like. Yeah. Yeah. So we one one of the gaps that we see in the use of these diagnostics at the point of care is the fact that the reagents aren't actually particularly thermally stable. And so if you're looking to send these tests to um, non-instrumented settings where the infrastructure isn't in place for continuous cold chain storage, so continuous refrigeration, those tests can actually start to fail. So if they're exposed to temperatures on the order of 30, 40 degrees Celsius for extended periods of time, the reagents will degrade, they'll lose their functionality, their ability to bind and detect markers of disease. And so the diagnostic test itself, which relies on those reagents, will be inaccurate. So we wanted to develop a new class of binding proteins that was intrinsically stable and intrinsically functional regardless of the storage conditions. To do so, we look to an environment where you would naturally have evolved thermally stable proteins, in particular to hot springs. And so we look to a, a species of microbe found in those hot springs uh, and to a protein that they produce. And we found that we can actually repurpose those proteins um, to give them the ability to recognize markers of tuberculosis. And we found that the reagents that we developed based on that kind of common thermally stable scaffold, um, they tend to be more, much more robust, something on the order of 275 times more stable than the traditional reagents that are used. That's cool. I see that you're going back to the nature and hmm. learning lessons from nature itself. That's Absolutely. Great. Biologically inspired design. That's what we're all about. <laughs> yeah, 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 that makes sense. You were also talking about how this can be applicable or, or is very applicable to developing countries. And the fact that there is stigma associated with TB, at least in my mind, I'm extrapolating that early detection, which leads to, you know, a, a better cure can eventually help, you know, take away the stigma from this disease. Tell us a little bit about what, what your vision is for this product and the solution that you have uh, come up with. Sure. So we, we envision this sort of product profile as enabling um, screening campaigns and, and early frontline detection for tuberculosis. And studies have found that if you have a sort of triage test which works with suitable sensitivity, specificity for patients in which um, there's relatively low incidence of tuberculosis, so anyone presenting with a heavy cough, in that case, if you can detect TB versus non-TB, you would actually start to avert transmission of the disease to the tune of of seven cases of TB for every individual detected um, via that screening campaign. So that's how you start to cut the cycle of transmission that leads to the heavy burden of morbidity and mortality globally. Likewise, just a couple of other stats along those lines. Studies have found that if you were to cut the delay between when someone uh, starts to have symptoms and when they actually receive a diagnosis for TB, which tends to be something on the order of six months, if you were to cut that by 50% down to three months over the course of about 10 years, you would reduce the global incidence of TB by 65%. So that's the sort of impact that we're looking to, to enable, basically creating tools that can be used in these sorts of screening campaigns to reduce the overall global incidence of TB. 
That is awesome, Eric. You're surely living MIT's motto of Menset Manas. Is, is there anything the listeners or the alum base can help you out with, given where you are with the product? Sure. I mean, always. So we're, where we currently are, we're effectively sourcing biobanked clinical samples from an organization called the Foundation for Innovative New Diagnostics. And that's a partner organization of the World Health Organization. Those clinical samples are coming in and we're looking to do that sort of initial clinical validation of the reagents that we have developed. Once we've done so, again, pending positive results, um, it's sort of off to the races to integrate those reagents into a fully functional integrated diagnostic test. That, of course, will require funding. So if anyone is is interested in partnering with us to actually shepherd this, to translate this from the lab here at MIT into functioning products, that would be incredibly enabling. Likewise, we're always looking for translational and clinical partners. So we're partnering with an organization called Operation Asha uh, in India, which has one of the largest networks of accredited social health workers. They are effectively the frontline clinicians for detecting tuberculosis in many regions of India. But likewise, any sorts of clinical organizations that have that sort of reach to actually sort of shepherd these tests from the, the centralized centers to the actual bedside, to the, the point of care where patients need them, that sort of partnership would be incredibly enabling for us. Great. Eric, thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Cool. Thank you so much. Although TB can be effectively treated with antibiotics, one of the universal truths of healthcare is drugs don't work if people don't take them. In developed countries, the World Health Organization estimates that as many as 50% of patients have a hard time following their medication regimen for chronic illnesses. In developing countries, that percentage is even higher. Our next guest for this episode is Malvika Verma. She is passionate about using her problem-solving skills to make a difference in healthcare globally. She has a bachelor's in science from Caltech, a PhD from MIT, and has worked abroad at Oxford University as well as with Tata Center in India. Currently at Boston Consulting Group, she's working on novel drug delivery devices to help patients take their medication. Malvika, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Great. Thank you so much, Gayatri, for having me. If there is one word I can use to characterize you, that would be sanguine. Haven't you taken up a challenging task? Do share in your own words with our audience about your moonshot, Malvika. Yeah, our moonshot is to make sure that every patient takes their medication on time so they can get better and go back home to their families, completely healthy. So I understand that you are currently working on innovating around drug delivery for tuberculosis patients. So tell us more about your project. Yeah, our project overall goal is to ensure that patients suffering from tuberculosis, which as you know, is the world's leading killer of infectious disease, that they can actually complete their treatment. And there are a lot of challenges with uh, treating tuberculosis or TB. One of the major challenges is that the drug regimen requires daily pills. And you have to take these daily pills multiple times a day sometimes for six to nine months. And having such an arduous course is a huge burden for patients. Not only that, 
they actually have to go to a center called a DOTS clinic where they get directly observed treatment and someone actually has to watch them take their pill. So this is a huge challenge for people, you know, who have, who are, who are typically poor, they have daily jobs and to miss their job to go to a clinic and every day, um, that's a huge burden for them. And so our goal is to really design a solution that can address these problems. And the way that we're going about this is instead of having a pill every day, why not have a device that can slowly release all your medications on a monthly basis? So you only would have to go to a clinic once a month and then get this device and it releases the drugs for you. So you can be at home going to work and basically just getting your treatment without all of the the burden and making sure that you get your treatment prevents many, many issues such as um, drug resistance, which is a growing, a growing concern for, for TB. And so our, our solution is really addressing this problem of patients not being able to take their medication. And we really hope to make it easier for them and make it also easier for the healthcare system. That's awesome, Malika. I can extrapolate that this can be very applicable to uh, remote places in developing countries where individuals, you know, once the diagnosis has been done, you know, to, to make that hike to actually get to the clinic can be a deterrent for them to actually go through the treatment. In your research before you took on this project, was that something that you encountered? Definitely. That was definitely a huge, I guess, push for a solution that would not have the patient have to go to a clinic every day since in many rural areas or even in urban areas, getting to a clinic is, you know, could be very difficult. So really removing some of those obstacles by reducing the frequency of having to go to a clinic was a huge, a huge push and motivation for designing a solution that reduces that frequency. Makes sense. In your own words, again, describe the solution that you have come up with. I understand it's a gastric device, uh, but tell us some technicalities around it. Exactly. Yeah, it is a gastric device. So the device I like to describe as a candy necklace. Essentially, you can think of it like take all your pills and put them on a, a string. In this case, we used a wire. And this wire actually has all your pills in it. And it can actually be administered through a, a tube that that is first placed into your nose, down into your esophagus and into your stomach. And so after this tube is placed, it's the nasogastric tube, then the actual device, we let's call it a, like a slinky for now, or your candy necklace, is then placed into this tube. And once it gets to the stomach, it actually can form a coil. So it's a coil shape. And the device can then, it sits there in the stomach, then that tube that was originally used to place the device is taken out immediately. Um, and now this slinky device that's sitting in your stomach can stay there for at least a month. And that slinky has those pills and those pills we've designed so that they're slowly releasing your medication um, and we can tune that rate of release. And now at the end of your treatment, we can actually put in this tube back in, which is a nasogastric tube that is the one that you was used to deliver the device. And then we could actually go in through that tube and take it out using a magnetic retriever. And then you can put in a new one. And so really the steps are go to a clinic, get a nasogastric tube inserted, get your slinky device into the stomach, take out that nasogastric tube. That process we think will take 15 minutes. Then you go home and you have your treatment for one month. Then when your treatment is over, 
you go back to the clinic and get this whole process again. And so we really have this sort of end-to-end solution. The core technology is really figuring out how to get this device into the stomach and how we actually slowly release those medications. And that's all in the formulation detail of what are these pills made of. Um, and so that's, that's basically the technology that we've, we've designed. That sounds pretty cool. And it seems like it's a breakthrough in terms of the fact that it can be extended to any medication that needs to be taken on a regular basis. Would that be a true statement? Yes, I think that's uh, definitely an accurate statement, definitely for any oral drug that we can take the oral medication and encapsulate it in in the polymers we use there's a lot of a lot of work that's been done for to us to understand what sort of polymers and what sort of stabilizers to use for drugs um, but definitely like the goal is to expand this towards other drugs and we've shown within TB we were able to take all the the, the antibiotics um, that are that are necessary and formulate them and now hoping to really expand what we've learned from looking at TB to other d- diseases so we can extend basically how long a patient can take those medications for. That's pretty cool. How far along are you, Malvika? Is this ready for human patients at this point? At this point, we've done our proof of concept work using a pig model. So we've we've given these devices to healthy pigs and shown that the devices can be safe and can release the medication for one month. So currently we're very much preclinical. Our goal is to is to start doing some human acceptability work around whether they would actually take this device. And we've done some initial work towards that. But the real timeline is we think in the next uh, five years, we will be ready to put this into, into human patients. That's great. We wish you all the best, Malvika, in your moonshot of eradicating, if I, if I can use that word, tuberculosis from the face of this planet. Thank you so much, Gayatri. Tuberculosis, a global disease found in every country in the world, The World Health Organization estimates that 1.8 billion people, close to one quarter of the world's population, are infected with mycobacterium tuberculosis, the bacteria that causes TB. Last year alone, 10 million people fell ill from TB and 1.5 million died. It is responsible for economic devastation and the cycle of poverty and illness that entraps families, communities and even entire countries. Among the most vulnerable are women, children and those with HIV-AIDS. There is a growing resistance to available drugs, which means the disease is becoming more deadly and difficult to treat. Early and accurate detection of TB is an area of critical importance along with medication adherence to combat the disease, and that is where my fellow MITNs are stepping in. Thank you for listening. We hope to have you back for our next episode. Until then, namaste. Namaste.